It's time for The Outspoken Cyclist, your weekly conversation about bicycles, cyclists, trails, travel, advocacy, the bike industry, and much, much more. You can subscribe to our weekly podcast at OutspokenCyclist.com or through your favorite podcatching app to listen anytime. Now here's your host, Diane Jenks. Hello and welcome to The Outspoken Cyclist. I'm your host, Diane Jenks. Thanks for tuning in today. This episode was supposed to air a week ago to coincide with an event my guest was having at his Brooklyn, New York workshop. Due to COVID and nasty weather, it was postponed until this coming Sunday, October 1st. We'll have more information about it at the end of the show. Also, I want to preface this episode with an important announcement from Shimano. Last Thursday, September 21st, Shimano issued a massive recall of over 760,000 cranks. Instead of reading you all the information about how to tell if your Ultegra or Durace crank has been recalled, I've put a PDF of the recall information on our website, OutspokenCyclist.com. Everything you need to know is there. Please take heed, as Shimano is really doing a great job with this recall, including reimbursing dealers and even helping out if you have a power crank. Shimano has asked the dealers post the information until February 1st, 2024. Now let's talk about my guest, because I really enjoyed this conversation, and I think you will too. You know how I love speaking with custom frame builders about their work and their lives. Today, though, I am speaking with custom frame builder Johnny Coast from Coast Cycles in Brooklyn about his experience supporting Team Coast at this year's PBP, Paris Brest Paris. The event only comes around every four years, and two of Johnny's clients trained for two years in advance to make the journey to France and compete in the grueling 90-hour event. At one point, the riders approached Johnny, who built their randonneuring bikes, and forming Team Coast asked if Johnny wanted to come along as support. His answer was yes, and his experience was almost as exciting and gratifying as his riders. I think I'll go back again and do it in four more years. That's not all we talk about, though, so let's get right to it. Oh, and by the way, we mentioned Shermer's neck in our conversation. And if you don't know what it is, it's a condition where the neck muscles fail from fatigue and can no longer support the head. It is not gradual either. After feeling the first symptoms, the neck will usually stop functioning within two hours. It happens a lot to ram riders and others who do super long distance events that keep you on the bike for extended hours. Now here's my conversation with Johnny. Hi, Johnny. Welcome back to The Outspoken Cyclist. Thanks for joining me today. How are you? Hi, Diane. Glad to be back. I'm doing well. Good. Well, I think the last time we spoke was at French Fender Day at Peter Weigel's house with, in Connecticut. And that was a long time ago now, like almost four years, maybe. Oh, my gosh. So fast. Yeah, that's yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of the reasons I wanted to contact you was the the stuff you were putting online about being in France, but you weren't participating as a rider. And I love PBP. I have a, a, a really good friend who's also like my 
my muscle body worker. And he, this is his 10th time doing it. Uh, I'm just wondering what brought you to PBP. I mean, they only do it every four years. And was this your first trip? This was my first trip. I guess I'd back up to the previous PBP is I have a friend and I built him a, a frame and a complete bike. And uh, he wanted to do this thing called PBP. And I'd known about it, but he had never tried before. So he got online and decided he was going to apply. And he started qualifying. And by the time he got around to it, it had it, something happened with registration where they cut off the amount of people who can a, a register. And he missed the, the deadline. So he didn't get to go. <laughs> I know. But it was a mistake. I think it was a rookie mistake. And, you know, he learned a lesson in which meant find others who've done it before and ask them for advice, which he did. And he realized that he could start qualifying the year, the year before, pre-qualify. And he really committed himself this time to really train and get ready for this thing two years ago. And he found another team, another rider, and they formed the Coast Cycles team sort of organically and on their own. And they asked me, do you want to have a, a cycling team? And I said, well, yeah, let's do it. I'll, I'll sponsor it as best I can, and we'll, we'll just go for it. And we created this thing called Team Coast Cycles. And was that the question? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. The conversation's the conversation. Yeah. So, yeah. How you got involved. So it was that's how well, that's how I got involved is to uh, a customer who became a, a team rider, formed a, a team and uh, they they both trained together and they they sucked me into it. And <laughs> that's how I got involved. So did you actually build them randonneur bikes for PBP or did they already have bikes from you that or one of them I know for sure had your bike and was that the bike you used? Uh, both of them got bikes for PVP, and for, and of course the whole previous two years training on those bikes. So they were randonneuring bike specifics. Specific. Uh, the other teammate, uh, Bill, he had one of my frames already, and he'd been riding a coast for a very long time. And he pre-qualified and qualified on the bike he had, which was a randonneuring bike. And I built him that bike maybe eight years ago. Uh, something like that. And um, for PVP, I built him a new frame, fork and stem and rack and Decalore, um, fresh, brand new bike. But it was a, a better bike in a sense that he got to ride one of my bikes, uh, train on it. And with training comes a, an abundance of wealth of knowledge. And that informed a slightly different design. And we tailored that bike to do this Paris breast Paris on. Very, very cool. <laughs> very cool. So both yeah. of them clearly completed the ride. Yes, they did. And did they do it in 90 hours? They did it in 87 hours. Okay. So not the 84, they did it in under 90, which is really cool. That's under awesome. How was the weather yeah. this year? I thought it was awesome. Although I wasn't riding, I think it, there were stretches that were really hot. There were stretches that were temp like kind of warm and then there was cold and wet there was kind of all of it cold and humid like dewy in the middle of the night i think there was one stretch that was really hot and it got a lot of people really uh exhausted you know i got i actually saw what we're talking about weather so uh one of the first one of the like the second controls 
I think I saw what would be considered heat exhaustion, uh, which is scary. Um, someone who was very nauseous, out of it, dry, like not sweating anymore, uh, couldn't really, didn't know who I was, though I knew them. So there's some, there was a control that was so damp and dewy and wet. It was one o'clock in the morning. We're waiting for our riders to come in and I was just like chilled to the bone. I couldn't imagine riding a bike in it, I guess. Like, I would be exhausted and cold. Wow. Oh, <laughs> so the weather was great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were in a vehicle. Come on. Let me remind our listeners, we're, spe- we're speaking with custom frame builder, Johnny Coast, and his experience at PVP this year as a support vehicle. And I wanted to ask you about that because this is a self-supported event. So how did you support your riders? What was it you were allowed to do? Well, you know, at first I thought we weren't allowed to do anything hearing that, what you just said. It was like, oh, well, what, what you know, what they have all this, everything you need at a control and there's rules against, you know, support outside of the controls. So it turns out that there is an official role of support vehicle and you can register and be a participant. Uh, we're participant uh, number 307 or something. And we had actual official decals that we had to display in our vehicle. Uh, there was a very specific route that the support vehicles had to take, which was off of the rider's route. There are a lot of rules around support. Um, if they receive, if your rider receives support outside of a control, they are um, penalized two hours Ooh. for every infraction. Um, and other infractions, too. There's a lot of rules for these riders that uh, may not have gone heated, but were definitely enforced. So the very kind of strict. What was exactly the question was? Yeah, just what you were allowed to do and what you weren't allowed. Oh. To do. So we're allowed to, uh, you know, give support in the way of they don't. I guess I wasn't really specified in what you're allowed to give them, but you're not allowed to give support off route. You're not allowed to interact with your riders or any riders off route or I'm sorry, on route. And I think the idea was that you drive to the control. You can meet them at the controls. There are certain areas that it's riders only. You cannot enter. I don't know that it's laid out in the rules, but specifically what we wanted to do, what a good support team does is you get to the controls early. You catch the lay of the land because it can be absolute chaos there although the organizers did wonderful you know organizing it i'm not criticizing um but there's a lot of people coming in and out totally tired and exhausted including your riders so you want to figure out where to get their cards stamped uh where the food is uh where maybe medic tents are just in case maybe your riders are exhausted in the middle of the night and need a half an hour of sleep so you're going to find a spot for them that's you know not overcrowded or too hot in our case, what we ended up realizing very quickly in the beginning was, well, it was funny because I'm just going to kind of go off topic a little bit. But we, I, too, Diane, was wondering, what the heck am I going to do? You know, like, sounds like there's nothing I need to do. But we realized absolutely in the quickly, we learned fast and the hard way that um, what you need to do is get to your control immediately as fast as you possibly can in a car and figure out where everything is set up your little area so in our case our area was the back of our car we had um you can open that we rented a car that you can open the tailgate of and like lay the seats down so we had 
drop bags for riders. We had food that the riders liked and specified. I had a little mini medic kit, which included things like Band-Aids, pain cream for your knees and muscles. Everybody was very fond of the uh, caffeine pills that were you could buy that had ibuprofen in it. Um, wow. <laughs> and, you know, ace bandages, real mild, light, light medic gear, but mostly just like pain cream. And what was the other one we used a lot? Anyway, so there was that. And then we also had little blow up mats, like camping mats. And if the controls where people would sleep or they provide for you was overcrowded or difficult to access, we actually would like put the mats out in a shaded area if it was daytime or next to the car at night and let the riders uh, sleep for however long they asked for. So riders come in, you guide them to where they need to go to get their cards stamped. Say, this is where the food is. What do you want to do? Sleep for 20 minutes. Here's a spot to sleep. Here's food for you now. Immediately hand them cold drinks if possible. Let them sleep, time it, wake them up when they need it to go and get them on their bikes. And then immediately get in the car and book it to the next control because you think you've got five hours, but in reality, all of your plans can just go to hell in like, you know, a couple of hours. And all of a sudden they're way ahead of schedule and you're behind, Right. which happened to us in our first, our very first control. I mean, these guys have been training for two years, so they know how long it takes to go 50 miles or whatever. And they said, well, our first control, we should be there in, you know, eight to 10 hours. So I thought, well, let's get us there in seven hours and we'll be early. We got a text from one of the riders saying, like, we were like 45 minutes away from the first control. And we got a text saying, okay, we're leaving. We just left the first control. We did way faster time because it's much flatter terrain here. And we just booked it the entire way and we're way ahead of schedule. And I was like, "Uh oh, so they had already left the first control when we were on our way to it, which was bad. Yeah, they didn't have any of the support. that you. (laughs) They didn't have the support they were expecting. So then we realized really fast. It was like going to school, like really quickly. We had to learn some very basic things. And it was really, really, really fun. I'll tell you what, your riders must have been really fresh at that beginning to get to the first control and go, eh, no big deal. What? And then we're leaving. See you at the next one, right? Well, you know, the thing is, is they were like, we basically want you at the midway point and you guys can decide if you really want to do this whole the whole way or not. Sure. Like, sure. We, don't, we don't care. They were kind of like seemingly kind of tough about it you know like nah we maybe we need you at the halfway point we really would need you at ludiac but after that it's up to you guys and then after the first couple controls they're like we want you at every single one <laughs> this is really hard you know and it's hard we were out of supplies within two controls we were like oh my god now we need to go resupply and so we had you know you'd find the nearest grocery store and sometimes that was after hours and we found pharmacies along the way to re-up the, there is, we were using a, two different things, Arnica oil and like, right. a pain, like a pain medication is, it's hard to interpret it, what it said, but it was basically like a pain cream that you could put on your knees. Right. You know? yeah. so they, la- they would just lather themselves up in this. They went through like three tubes of stuff. Wow. <laughs> we had to keep going to find it. Okay. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but we did run out once and we had to get a second tube of it. Would you do this again? Absolutely. I'm hooked. It was awesome. <laughs> How that about was riding? Like Would you ever ride it? Four, 
you know what the reality is is um i incur like i am amazed at the amount of training these two my two writers did they they were like they took it so serious and they were almost scientific about it and they chose a harder series out here on the east coast to complete to qualify because it was the brevet series yeah they chose the um the Pennsylvania one. Okay. Oh, yeah. It it's way hilly. It's very yeah. hilly. Yeah, you know. Yeah. They chose it because other ones are flatter and they thought, you know what, let's really just train as hard as we can. And they chose that one because it's hilly. Um, so when they hit that first flat stretch, they were stoked, you know. Can I better answer that question? I thought about it a little further. Yes. Whether I do this again or write it, I think what I really discovered is that I liked doing the support. It was it was really fun and like an adventure, and I was I'm, I felt like I was very effective. You know, like I had a teammate with me and we did really good. I would do support again. I would do SAG again. I don't know that I would ride PVP. I think I would rather do support again. I think that's right where I belong, to be honest. Well, it's interesting. You know, over the many years I've been in business, we used to put on a lot of events, and. Mm-hmm. It was always the volunteers who seemed to have the most fun. There was no question that the participants enjoyed it, but the volunteers so got into it. So I get that supporting these riders has to be really gratifying. And to be honest, like with my lifestyle, I don't make time for training rides. Like these guys, they really committed to it. And I think if you're going to do something on this scale, you got to commit to it. You got to do the writing and the training. And I'm like, I just every every minute they had, they were preparing. I don't I don't have the time. Well, you have to be that kind of committed to do, a, you know, a 750 mile, 1200 kilometer ride in 90 hours. I mean, it's crazy when you think about it. It's amazing. I think I heard that 8000 riders were registered this year. Yeah, that's what I heard too. I actually tried to look that up before we talked and I had just heard that from the other writers. You have no idea, like, have you gone to this thing? Have you seen it No, I, I've wanted to and I've just, you know, I, getting away in the middle of the summer is hard when you're in the bike business. It's cool, man. It's like <laughs> you show up and there's people from all over the world converging on this tiny little town to do this insane race. And it's like, it's it's very moving. Like it brings you to tears just being like, wow, this is such a cool, like what, what's, that's like a neat thing. Like people came to ride a bicycle, you know, it is and how beautiful, you know? Yeah. And then when they were rolling through the, the, when they were coming across the finish line, like at that point I'd had, you know, it's four days now I'd had like maybe four hours of sleep total. And they even had less sleep than I did. They physically, I, I'd never seen, I mean, that was a physical feat that was beyond explaining. And when they came at, when people were coming across the finish line, you just like, I was like tearing up. I couldn't help it. <laughs> I was crying like a baby. Yeah. <laughs> and when that guy, that team rider, that, that older fella who was being pushed by younger guys, right. they're pushing him along somewhere along the line. Maybe he gave out or he couldn't make it. That just showed that that cool spirit of the whole thing is like they'd stop those guys could have blasted on and got better times but no they slowed down and helped a guy out i thought that was really touching and cool you know and then when i saw you know ben and bill rolling across the line of course i'm like oh crying and uh it was really sweet 
I'd never seen um, Shermer's neck before. Do you know what this term refers to? Yeah, I know exactly what it is because Ram riders get it all the time. I had never seen it. And I saw three people rolling across the finish line with Shermer's neck. And the night before, at the last, this I think it was the last control, people were getting that. And it was scary looking. I couldn't believe it. And their necks had given out and their heads are dropping down and they're trying to hold their own heads up. It was terrifying to see it. But I didn't I didn't say anything. I was just like, oh, my goodness. You know, there it is. There's Shermer's the dreaded Shermer's neck. Everyone was so freaked out about getting it. And then people did. I had a, another friend. I, so along this trip, we had like acquired other people that we did SAG for. Some uh, people from Philadelphia, um, Pat and Cece and Ryan from uh, the Keystone Bike Crew. We just like, okay, you're a part of our team now. We're doing this. And um, Ryan had reported he was middle of the night somewhere blasting down a hill. And there's a guy in front of him he didn't know started to kind of swerve in and out of the lanes a little bit into traffic a little even and he rang his bell and no response guys to like wandering you know coasting downhill yet wandering so what the heck is going on he rides up next to the guy he looks over dude is full-on sleeping on his bike flying down a hill and that's not the first time i've heard of that happening and that guy later did crash i heard yeah but he did <laughs> so this is no it was no joke no it is so, no joke here they are all these people just pushing so hard and working so hard two years in the making team co-cycles just you know springs out of nowhere i can't help but to feel it when the guys roll across the finish line you know i'm like oh my god it was awesome it was awesome yeah i would absolutely be in in tears watching them come across it's just so amazing I know Jan Hein did it again this year and he did it in some absurdly low time. And I'm like, that's crazy. Who knows? He's so modest. Did you read his post blog? He's like, oh yeah, I did this. I was like, oh my God. I saw him for a second. I said, Jan Hein, nice to see you. It's like, oh, well done. That was nice. (laughs) Hey, Tommy, let's take a short break and we'll be right back. I want to talk a little bit about business. So, uh, all right. Yeah, we're talking with Johnny Coast of Coast Cycles out on the East Coast of the U.S. And we will be right back. You're listening to The Outspoken Cyclist. back on the outspoken cyclist we're talking with johnny coast and we just spent the first half of our conversation talking about parry breast parry pbp uh johnny did not ride he supported it and as i mentioned i think volunteers and support have as much fun if not more than the participants and apparently that Mm. was so so you got four more years before it comes around again yeah i think that um the goal is to keep Team Coast Cycles going and do it again in four years. So you just flew over there and rented a car? Is that how you did it? Yeah. So one of the riders, partner, and I both did this together. And we rented a car. And it was very easy to do that. And we registered with PVP as a, an official support vehicle. Cool. Cool. What yeah. kind of car did you end up driving? Oh, it was a weird brand new Spanish car. 
and it was a lot of electronic doohickeys I didn't really understand, but <laughs> we we did it. Uh, apparently so. Here you are. How about the how about travel itself? Was it like okay? You mean at the you mean flying over there? Oh yeah, in the airport. Totally fine. That was easy. Very, oh, very doable. In fact, I waited. I got very moderately priced plane tickets and very simple, very easy. We we had a wonderful host, uh, Pat and CC from Philly. They do every PVP on a tandem and they rented a beautiful chalet, which, you know, it's like a farm country house made of stone. It was like a mini castle, which I guess is common there. Wow. And everyone's like, oh, yeah. They're all like that. I'm like, oh what town God. was that in? Was that in Brest? That no, that was we started in Rambouillet, so outside of Rambouillet. So that's like a little town called something else. I forget, which is terrible. Um, but we we got a we got like a they got a Airbnb outside of Rambouillet and then kept it the whole time. And when we got back to it. Uh, it was still there for us and all our gear was there. The bike cases were there. So the bike cases, that's always the annoying part. You got to really know how to pack a bike. I had, I had done, um, it, it takes a bit of finesse to pack a bike. Right. Uh, I had done, uh, the, the bespoke show in Bristol, UK and packed two show bikes. And I had these cases left over. So I was able to loan one of them to Ben and Bill had his own and Ben, Bill actually had his like packed for him professionally and Ben and I worked on his mostly Ben did it it was you know it's it's all part of traveling with a bike we used hard cases were they coupled bikes or they, they were not okay that, so makes that is a another reason that is another way to do it yeah mm -hmm. sure sure wow because when when Brian and I uh went to Israel to ride for a week and we took our tandem but because of who he is you know, the frame and some stuff went in one box and wheels and on the other stuff went in the other box. But it was like a complete tear down, complete build up. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Especially so, tandem. You got to you got to just couple de decouple the bike. And we know we just now had couplers put in at that point. It was oh. we sent it over in a big tandem box. So, yeah, yeah, we took it on. the. Those plane. are helpful. That was crazy. I, we did OK with no couplers, to be honest. And then I think that. A single bike. I think the advantage to couplers is that sometimes you get around the air, the baggage fee, um, and sometimes you get double whammied with it. So it's kind of a gamble. I think a lot of the airlines have different rules, so you're not always guaranteed cheaper fare. You're going to pay for it if you don't, you know. It doesn't seem anyway. fair, you know, that you can fly your golf clubs but not your bike, but whatever, yeah. whatever. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about business. And and I'm wondering how you fared during the pandemic. I know it's like it's in the rearview mirror. I don't want to think about it. Oh, but how, how were things during the pandemic? It was weird and tough. And it was really odd what happened was I thought to myself, you know what, let's let's revisit. So I used to a long, long time ago, I... Uh, the company Vela Orange before the current owners had it. Another guy had it named Chris. And we had come up with this idea of a semi-custom. So I built Vela Orange's semi-custom bikes for a little while. And I kind of revisited that idea of the semi-custom for the pandemic times. And so I opened up my books to semi-customs and the orders like flooded in. 
It was insane. And I got so many orders, I couldn't handle it. And that was great. The problem was a lot of the factories that were producing the tubing uh, that the bikes are made of, Columbus, were having their own shutdowns right. because of the pandemic. Right. So I'm getting partial orders filled of tubing orders. I'm getting supply issues. I couldn't get the parts to build the frames fast enough. Or I would get a box of tubes that was only like stuff for front triangles. So getting the materials was like really tough. And my painter all of a sudden was like, oh, well, we aren't allowed. We were running out of paint. It's stuff like that. Raw materials, uh, you know, like steel is now difficult to find. So the factories who make stuff out of steel, you know, raw, like we're talking world supply issues, like the world economy was wacko. So I did pretty good. Um, I made a lot of bikes really fast. Um, in New York City, we're allowed to stay open because we're a bike shop and I worked alone. So I didn't have to stay indoors the whole time. I could actually commute legally. So I remained in business. Were these pig welded bikes? No, all braised. The the idea. So I I opened the program for that time period and then I closed it again. So and I'll open it again sometime in the future. But the idea is like full custom is full custom. Right. Semi-custom is you get a rondeneuring bike. Um, I will size you to the bike. So 53, 54, top tube, seat tube, whatever. Right. And you get to choose one of three colors. That was pretty much it. But I thought where a lot of where I think a lot of bigger supplied things go wrong is they skimp on materials. So I used the same materials. I used Columbus tubing. I used Richard Sachs lugs. That was the other thing is you don't get anything fancy. You just get lugged steel bikes. But they're not lugged Fromali. They're not lugged heavy gauge steel that was like, I actually chose a tube set that I like building with that I think makes a good bike. So those those bikes, they had a simple, like unaltered lug that, you know, Richard Sachs made. It wasn't these are nice lugs. Right. Um, but straight out of the box, cleaned them up, put them on the bike, mitered the tubes, got them, you know, they're straight up rondeneuring machines, but made with, you know, decent quality parts. So were you building trying to build full bikes or just frames? That was mostly full or i'm sorry mostly frames yeah so you get a frame and fork for x amount of dollars so but i also had taken a number of full custom orders and some of those had i have a few options you can do so if you do like what i call the rolling chassis you get a wheel set from me you get the fenders installed which is very can be really tricky oh yeah if you're not used to it very time consuming takes me like a day to do a good set of fenders you know if you do it correctly and wiring the lights. So then you have your stem and decalore. You've got the rack installed. You've got the fenders installed. You have the front and rear te- front and rear lights all wired and ready to go right. on a wheel set for X amount of dollars. Or you can go full hog. And a lot of people don't tend to do that a, a lot. So I get a lot more um, rolling chassis, which is great. It's fine. So do you build your own wheels? I actually use a, a guy named Dave Perry, who actually you might have met. I brought him with me to French Fender Day that year. Um, he's a local former racer, longtime bike shop owner, really good at building wheels. And he gives a lifelong guarantee. Like if you come to him in 10 years and say, hey, it's out of true, he'll true it for free. So I hired Dave to do it because I don't 
you know, want to spend my time doing it. And he's right. really good at it. Exactly. And, Why not pay him? Right. Yeah. And then Dave Perry, you know, so, I don't know if you know this guy, but. Uh, I don't know that I do, but I probably would like, to, you know, I don't, it, it's not ringing a bell, but, you know. He's, he's literally our, our official, unofficial bike mechanic for Team Co-Cycles. Got it. And he's a longtime racer, knows all the cult heroes. Perry, P-E-R-R-Y? Yeah, look up bikecult.com, I think it is. Okay. Um, he's interesting, dude. I'll send you some links. Okay, that's cool. That's very cool. So given the time frame of the pandemic and you opened that window of building those frames and then you closed it again, how many frames did you produce? Give me a, a ballpark. Oh, God. Um, I was doing three. No, seven frames every three months. Wow. And sometimes 10, but that wasn't ideal. So I would, the trick was, is I would do them in batches. So I'd, sure. I'd build seven front triangles and then I'd build a whole slew of chain stays, whole uh, chain stay dropout attachments and then bend them and dipple them. And then a whole slew of, you know, I'd come in on Tuesday and I'm doing, today I'm doing seat stays and I would miter seat stays and braze on my little, you know, top eye and, and Wednesday, I'd come in and do all the chain stays. And then, you know, Friday, I'd spend doing batches of fork blades. So I would do it that way. And so I think every, like I said, every three months, I would crank out seven to 10 frames. That's pretty cool. If that's, that's a pretty, that's a brisk, vague mark, that's a brisk yeah. rate. How, how were people? Yeah, it was fast as I could make them. <laughs> so you were selling these direct to consumers or to shops? Direct to consumers. I do have a few frames and shops, but. How were they finding you? Um, it's a lot of word of mouth. I always, always, always do the Philly Bike Expo. I always, I used to advertise in Bike Quarterly, which I kind of don't anymore. And I think it's just through the website, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. The, you know what's really cool about your website? It's very clean and it's very easy to, to browse. You. And, you know, you don't overload it with stuff. I tried not to. No, exactly. Exactly. And every, uh, you're probably of other social media. Well, I know you have other social media because I saw the pictures on Instagram. Instagram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Co-Cycles yeah. NYC. You know, the, well, my attitude about the website changed a lot. I think when I first started doing things, if you looked at other builders too, there was always some weird mystery about the prices they charged and where they were and phone numbers. And I was like, that, that might be outdated at this point. I think if you just outright place a price on it, say this is what it is, you can, if you name it, like you, you can get options one, two, or three and call it the rolling chassis or the full blown or like give it a title, then it's easier to see and it's easier for people to access. It also self um, sort of gets your clients to self, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, um, select. That, so it's self-selective. Yeah. You know, if they look at it and they go, this just isn't for me, it's like, okay, that was easy. Yeah, you know what you're dealing with, you exactly, know. Exactly, exactly. Let me remind listeners once again, we're speaking with Johnny Coast out of Brooklyn, New York with no accent. How come you don't have a New York <laughs> accent, dude? I was, you know, I was born in New York, but upstate. And then my family moved to Denver when I was a kid. Ah. And I grew up in Denver. And I moved back to probably over 25 years ago. What do you consider upstate? Okay, not even upstate. I'm sorry, Western New York. So, okay. Olean is where I was born. 
Do you know where oh, Olean is? Yeah, I do. So Brian's from the Adirondack. He's from near Glens Falls in the Adirondacks. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's upstate. Yeah. That is My, Olean's more Western New York. I yeah. just say upstate because right. it's not right. New York City, I guess. Exactly. Exactly. So um, I want to talk a second about your mixty frames. Okay. I, I like writing a mixty, and although I don't do much writing by myself anymore, I am on the back of the tandem when I'm writing. But cool. how are you? How are people responding to the idea of a mixty? Is it a full mixty with the stays that go all the way back to the rear triangle? I didn't look. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's you know it's a, it, it, not a lot of people order them. I've only really made a a, large, a handful. Um, I first made them for Vela Orange, actually. Oh. And hmm. I I learned there's some design considerations that a lot of people don't see to the naked eye that you've got to consider for the mixty. Yeah, like the brakes. Um, <laughs> like, well, yeah, that's that's you can see that, but there's things like you took basically a, a the the front triangle, you know, and it's a very strong structure and you took the top tube of it and you made it parallel with the down tube. Now that kind of weakens the structure. So you have to do all these other things to kind of counter that. And tubing selection is one of them. Uh, like you mentioned, the set of stays that run to the back, there's a third set of stays, I call them. Right. That, that triangulate off the top tube to the seat tube to the dropouts right that's that's for a reason that's so that this thing doesn't start wiggling around on you it's yeah, less stability moving. sure yeah so they end up they're they're really cool the advantage is that you can step through them if you have mobility issues i think the downside is that they end up being a little they might end up being a little tiny bit heavier because the extra stays not a lot but you know it's a design compromise i tell people to lose five pounds even if, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. or don't worry about it. It don't you know, worry about it. If you're, exactly. yeah. What are you doing for drivetrains these days? What are you recommending? Kind of all sorts of stuff. I had gotten into, uh, you know, kind of all over the board, but still kind of old school. I on a couple of my show bikes, I have the uh, the Sun. XEDs, which were a neat little phase that they re reissued those. Uh, oh, so drivetrains, like between 9 and 10 and 12 speed. Chain ring in the front, so low gearing for mixed, or I'm sorry, for rondeneering frames. Uh, the larger ring being your, your ring that you would stay in most of the time, and you drop down to the smaller ring if you need an uphill. So not racing, uh, not 1970s italian racing bikes at all right you know right. so i think that that idea of the what is subcompact cranks is maybe it's starting to bleed into all sorts of things rondeneering and then even other kinds of bikes it's becoming more popular but useful that's what these guys were riding at pvp with with what like are you're not using disc and hydraulic brakes are you or are you I don't, and um, I'm not, a, I think they work great. I just don't, like, the reason these bikes don't have disc brakes is because when you're a builder, if you make a bike with disc brakes and you can't, no one can refute this, you, you'd have to use frame parts, frame components, like chain stays and seat stays and fork blades that are engineered for disc brakes, right? Right. 
So to do that, they make them way thicker and more yes, stiff. Right. Because there's so much forces down low instead of at the break up top that the frame would literally eat itself apart, break itself apart if you use lightweight, flexible chain stays, lightweight, flexible fork blades. So if you're if you're if you had a scale from stiff to to compliant and you're moving towards the compliant range for rider comfort and this idea that thing the frame flexes and returns flexes and returns which is the beauty of steel is that it will bend and give back over and over and over i think jan hein coined that phrase planing that was a term taken from the uh, nautical engineering boating basically and applied it to the i think he sort of meant it it feels like you're planing so the frame floats so if you want like flexible frame, you wouldn't use stiff components, right? right? You'd use thinner wall or thinner diameter, one of the two or both. So if I'm doing this thing where I'm pushing a frame towards flex and then rebounding with stiffer chain stays, seat stays, you're, you're bouncing around for a break. And I'm thinking, well, both breaks work. So let's just use the one that I can have flex with. Now, if I was going to make a gravel bike or a, mountain bike or uh you know something that wanted some real stiffness i would say well this that's a fine choice but these ppp bikes have canty brakes on them use pauls uh one of the riders does use pauls i can make yeah 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 they're great yeah they are they are i also use a lot of renee her stuff um they've reissued a lot of really neat stuff and those brakes actually are way beefier than the old school versions of Mayfax. They're similar to, but they are they are very well made. So I use a lot of that stuff too. So what do you think the future of the custom bicycle business is? Um as the as the population ages, I mean our customers are kind of aging out. And and it doesn't seem like there are a lot of new young people Although when you hear 8,000 people at PBP, but I'll bet the average age of the people at PBP was 50 at least, maybe 60. Wow. What do you think? I have, I don't know the average age. You'd have to look that stat up. I'm not sure. I'm, were they older generation? I don't really know. I saw a lot of young people there. You know, my my view of reality was just my own standing in one place view. You remember, I wasn't writing it. Right, 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 right. <laughs> I did see a lot of people. I saw a lot of young. I wasn't. I don't know if I was approaching it that way. That's interesting. Um, I hadn't taken a tally in my own mind of of age. I don't know if that's good or bad. But anyway, what, what's the future? I don't know what the future is. I know that the past. One thing you can get, you can kind of count on is trends change and people evolve and sometimes they revive old ideas and sometimes they come up with new ideas where's the bike industry heading you'd probably have to ask somebody like again my view of this is myopic i get people who already know what they want they come to me specifically for rondeneering bikes so i get a slice that is just a sliver of reality i bet you a bike shop could answer that question better than i could so if i look at the past it's got to be the next thing is like we're past gravel, right? We got top mount brakes now. We got some new thing called, I guess, gravel. Like it's still being defined. If I read the magazines, they tell me, well, it's this new sport. Uh, I'm got some gravel bikes lined up in my queue 
So um, Team Coast Cycles is going to do gravel. So I got. And do those are those bikes going to have disc brakes and through axles and all of that? They are. Okay, so you are building that stuff. Yeah, it's just like purposefully, right? Like I don't choose disc brakes if I want a flexible frame. Or if I want a nice softer, if I want a compliant ride on someone who's going to sit for 1200K, I want something that's a little bit easier on the rider. And I think stiffer bikes are appropriate for probably rough terrain. PVP is all pavement. There's not, and the roads over there are awesome. You know, that was also weirdly notable. The roads were awesome. I saw like five traffic lights in 1200K. That was it. It was all roundabouts. Traffic's very efficient. That's awesome. You know, it was beautiful yes. countryside. Loved it. Yeah. So last week um, was the Maid show out in Portland. Yeah. I guess it was just a smashing success. Great. And Nabs is gone. I know Philly, I look at Philly Bike Expo as being more than than what Maid did or what Nabs did. I, I look at them as being so much more inclusive of a, of all kinds of things. Do you think mm. we need another East Coast show like Made? Well, can I ask you what makes Made? So I was invited to go, and it was during PVP, right? So I I declined going, and I missed out. I know I did. Um, can you describe what's different between Made and? Do we need another one out here? Yeah, what's I mean, yes. The answer is like yes. Of course, the more the merrier. Yeah, and I'm not <laughs> what am I, sure. Crazy. Yeah, I'm I want sure. made here. I'm not sure that made was so different. I think that because Nabs is gone, and because people are hungry for the whatever's happening in the custom bike world, it was a real success. I guess Chris King did some amazing stuff. He he threw some big party and had people cool. go through the factory. I mean, it just it sort of reignited, at least on the West Coast, this desire for a nabs to me, you know, like what I see. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, there's there's room, I think, for both. Why not? You know, well, because nabs isn't coming back as far as I can tell. I don't think Don is in any position to he's probably like, I'm living my life. Leave me alone. You know, what was genius about nabs is that it changed venues every year. Right. I thought that was kind of cool because it gave every town it was in a chance. And maybe made was so awesome because of where it was. There's a huge bike culture out there and it's got its own flavor and its own particular style even. And, and nabs Nabs was in Portland. I was at, they were there for two years. I was in Portland for a couple of years for Nabs. It was also in, um, it was in uh, Northern California one time. Sacramento? And I went to that one. Yeah, yeah, it was in Denver. And that got a lot of people down. It was a in Louisville? Of... Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I agree. Nabs was awesome because of the way it traveled around. But I don't know. I just think that people are forgetting. Maybe they're not forgetting. Maybe they just don't know what the custom bicycle business is. What they know is carbon fiber, Trek, and specialized. And, right. And I I would like them to know that that there's a lot more to it than that. You know, it, it might be up to the builders a little bit too. And I, I hate to say this kind of thing, but maybe we need to have our ear closer to the ground and see what's fresh and new 
And maybe that's what Maid was able to do is they're like, hey, uh, like I only saw experienced it through Instagram, to be honest. Yeah. I read some stories. I thought that was cool. They had this really neat. Uh, at first, I thought it was going to be outdoors. And I guess they moved it into this cool, old, industrial, weird indoor outdoor building kind of thing. Yeah, I thought it was going to be looked, outdoors, too. That looks so cool. You know, I was like, that's neat. I want to be in that place. So I definitely had the FOMO, fear of missing out. Yeah, but, FOMO. <laughs> but damn, and had I had I planned on it, I I would have had to have like cut my trip short to PVP, and it was just like we've been working for years to get there. You know, no way I could I go. Nobody would ask you to do that. You know, would you... I go next year? Probably. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if they would move it next year. Don't know. Probably not. Probably not. Do you know about the the little show that's going to be going on in Bentonville? No. Next weekend. It's called, I don't love the name of the show, but I do like his idea, the Master Bike Builders show. And he's invited to come down. And it's, it's, um, a guy named Sergio Bravo is putting it on. And he's trying to build a custom bike show like nabs was and like made is and i don't know if he's going to get there or not um but at least he's trying you know i have to give him credit for that while we're pointing out small custom bike shows do you know about the class the long island classic rendezvous uh no jamie swan you know this guy oh very well him and a bunch of buddies are putting on a little bike show when uh i'm gonna have to I don't have the information in front of me. I'm so bad. Um, can I share that with you? I'll send Jamie a message and go, what the hell, dude? Why do yeah, I not see, know? Johnny said that? to ask you about the bike show. I will. Um, but people should go to it. I'm going to go to it. You know, I think he does it. You know. But Jamie is such an interesting guy. Jamie is a uh, really great human being. Yeah. And he's a genius. Actually. And he's a freaking genius. And it's, a, it's I always marvel at the way he interviews and speaks and talks to other people. He really kind of gives a crap about other humans. And he's genuinely interested in the world itself. And he is. Can't speak yeah. higher of that guy. And what's really cool is what he does in his professional life isn't frame building. Right. Yeah. He's with the, that naval company, you know, that that school. The web yeah, the Webb Institute, which is nautical engineering school, and he's a teacher. So this makes perfect sense to me, actually. So I'm not shocked no. that his place is relating to other people and conveying messages and information and right. sharing in that way. Because that's, in my life, that's his role for me as somebody who can, I can watch do that to for other people, you know, and, and right. he definitely does that for me. I consider him one of my counsel. <laughs> and and by the way, I think Brian does too. He's had conversations with Jamie along those same lines, you know, that that when yeah. yeah. And he is, and he's so free with the information. You know, it's not like he's not hoarding anything. It's like, yeah, you no. want to know, here's what I think. Jamie you know? once told me ideas are things that you can give away and also keep. <laughs> And that's sweet, right? Yeah. I like that. Well, maybe on that note, you and I will um end our conversation today, but I hope I get to talk to you again. Tell our listeners how to find out more about you and your work. Uh my it's Coast Cycles 
cycles.nyc and instagram is cocyclesnyc and my name is johnny coast and you can find me on instagram and the internets and there we have it johnny it's been wonderful to talk with you i can't believe it's been like four years or five years since we talked yeah and um i hope we get to talk again and congratulations on having so much fun at pvp i'm yeah envious of that oh also we are going to get together on the 24th at my shop to do a little post if you've been to pbp or went to this one uh feel free to come by we're going to have a uh, i'll I'll announce it on my instagram the 24th um, of of what this September. yeah coming right up yeah that's the sunday that is does that sunday Uh uh-oh yeah the 24th okay so that's going to be uh just like a slideshow and we're all hanging out talking about pvp and how fun it was oh that would be wonderful so anybody who's in the area and you're in brooklyn new york yep okay well have a wonderful week and uh thanks so much for talking with me and i hope to talk to you again soon yeah thank you so much all right talk to you soon bye take care bye my thanks to johnny coast for joining me on the show What a cool guy. The PBP recap event is this coming Sunday, October 1st at 2 p.m. The location is Coast Cycles, 50 Troutman Street in Brooklyn, New York. Bring your stories about PBP if you have them. You can also find Johnny at coastcycles.nyc and on Instagram at coastcyclesnyc. Next time on The Outspoken Cyclist, my guests are groundbreaking engineer Georgina Terry, whose women-specific bikes pave the way for more women on bikes and more companies to follow in her footsteps. And Veronica Davis, whose work in transportation started when she was just a little girl. In her own words, she said, quote, at the age of 22, I wrote a strategic plan. The career objective was to be a world-renowned expert in transportation. And so she is. And her new book, Inclusive Transportation, is her manifesto for repairing divided communities. Many thanks to you for tuning in today. Remember to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app so you never miss an episode. You can follow The Outspoken Cyclist on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And each episode of the show can be found for download at OutspokenCyclist.com, along with a transcript, photos, links, and show notes. Please stay safe, stay well, and remember, there is always time for a ride. Bye-bye. Joining us today on The Outspoken Cyclist with Diane Jenks. We welcome your thoughts and contributions on our Facebook page, or visit OutspokenCyclist.com to leave a comment on any episode. We will be back next week with new guests, topics, conversations, and news from the world of cycling. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app and you'll never miss an episode. The Outspoken Cyclist is a copyrighted production of DBL Promotions with the assistance of WJCU-FM Cleveland, a service of John Carroll University. Thanks again for listening, ride safely, and we'll see you next week.